0: Welcome to It Is Written's Revelation Today, Hope Awakens. I'm John Bradshaw, so glad you've joined me. We have people joining us for this event all around the world. If you are in New Zealand, kia ora. My friends in Indianapolis and Indiana, so glad you are here. Wherever you are, thanks for being part of what is going to be a wonderful learning experience. This is Revelation Today, Hope Awakens. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written. This is Hope Awakens. We are living in a strange new world and people everywhere are asking questions. This is an opportunity for us together to find solid answers to the questions that matter most to us right now. Just think back days, weeks, the world was very different. And now people are wondering what's going on, where we go next, how we could ever get out of here. And now we're starting to ask ourselves, the big questions and the deep questions. So thanks for connecting with us on Hope Awakens. Just a note I want you to know, and that is at the end of this presentation, you'll be able to click the tab on your screen and access tonight's study guide and a book that I want to give you, a book that I authored called, Confidence in Chaos. Now I've mentioned questions already. We are gonna be studying, we're gonna be plumbing the depths of some very, very important information. My expectation is that you might have questions. You know this is designed to be an interactive event, Hope Awakens. You are hearing from me. I want to hear from you. If you have questions, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. My good friend uh, Douglas Nair is here with me tonight. He'll be here every night. And Doug is going to ask me your questions. Doug, thanks for being here.
1: Hey, John, it's good to be here with you and also on Hope Awakens As you mentioned, we are living in unprecedented times and people are searching for answers. And that's the reason why we're here. So during the Hope Awakens series, we can look forward to questions like, is there a God? And if there is a God, why do things happen? Questions like, is there really something else behind what we see in the world today? And even questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? So I want to encourage our viewers, John, to ask questions.
0: Now, if they want to have a, uh, if if someone has a question they would like to ask, how do we get the question to you? And then you'll get it to me.
1: That's a good one. As a matter of fact, uh, on there on your screen, you can go to hopeawakens.com. On the side of the screen, there will be a link that says, prayer requests. Go ahead and click on that prayer request. It'll give you two options, prayer request and ask John a question. You click on that, ask a question, and then that will come to me and then I'll pass that on. There's also another option. You can go to hopeawakens.com slash questions. And all of those questions will come to me. And John, and I have the fun part in asking
0: you these questions. You're going to ask me the easy questions, right?
1: Just because you're a good guy, I'll ask you the easy questions. <laughs> okay,
0: good. Maybe I'll ask you the tough one. <laughs> Thanks, Douglas. I'm really glad you're here. Good to be here. And I'm glad you've joined me for Hope Awakens presented by It Is Written. By the way, before the night is over, I'll be joined by a special guest, a good friend of mine, his name is Pastor Carlton Bird from Breath of Life, and uh, we'll have a discussion that you're gonna find, I think, enlightening and encouraging. As I said, we're living in a strange new world. We're dealing with social distancing and isolation. Society has been turned upside down. Schools are closed. Many businesses are now struggling. A lot of people are out of work, and of course, A lot of people are unwell and we are all extremely sorry that so many people have lost their lives. So I hope you're doing well. And if if you're able to join me, I'm encouraged. Now tonight is an introduction to a series of presentations that is going to fill you with hope. We're going to answer a lot of questions together. We are going to make sense of this moment. We're going to look behind the scenes during Hope Awakens and find out that there is more to this world than meets the eye. I'm looking forward to what's to come. We are together on an exciting journey. I'll start by telling you this. A few years ago, I had to take a driving test. Maybe it was just a written test. If I remember right, it's because I'd moved from one state to another and therefore had to renew my license. Of course, I wasn't concerned at all. I'd been driving for decades. I knew what to do. I knew what not to do. Pretty good driver although everybody says that about themselves, right? But when I went to take the test, or maybe even when I reviewed the little booklet they gave me, I got a few surprises. You know, you take a few things for granted when you drive, such as that you know stuff. Think of some of the road signs that you see. I saw some of these in the test and I thought, what? Some of them, of course, they're obvious. Now this one, this is a That's a stop sign, obviously. This one here is a, what? It's a yield sign. In some countries, they call that one a give way sign. Now this sign means a lane is ending, ending and you need to merge. This one, tell me, what is it? It means there is a hospital nearby. But what about this one? What if you saw this sign? What does it mean? Well, this one would tell you that you have to take a sharp turn to the right. Here's one of my personal favorites. Someone told me that this one means that you should watch out for heavy umbrellas. Signs are designed to be clear, which is why if the sign is octagonal, it's always a stop sign. If it's an equilateral triangle with one point down, it's always a yield sign. That one that you just saw, diamond shape, always a warning sign. A circular sign means always there is a railroad crossing ahead. And here's one you might not know. If you see an exit on a freeway and there's an exit number on the freeway sign, usually it's on the right, like 1B on 81 North there. That's because most freeway exits are on the right. But if the uh, exit number sign is on the left of a sign, that's telling you that the next freeway exit is going to be on the left. So watch when you're driving. You're now going to notice that some of those numbers are to the right, some of them are to the left, and now you know why. A sign that you cannot see isn't a useful sign. So some signs have been designed to make sure that you cannot miss them, like this one, the famous Hollywood sign, an iconic sign. Visitors to Las Vegas love to stop and have their photo taken with this one, another famous sign. Now, you know what road you're on if you see this one. This one tells you that you're on Old Route 66. The signs on the London Underground truly iconic. I used to catch the tube at King's Cross Station every day some years ago when I was living in London. Signs, they're there to inform you. They're there to advise you. They're there to protect you. If you don't heed them, follow them, learn from them, you can find yourself in some real trouble. A couple of years ago, the driver of a passenger train in the Pacific Northwest didn't see a sign telling him to reduce his speed. The sign was two miles ahead of a sharp curve. Because he missed that sign, the train took the curve at 80 miles an hour rather than 30 miles an hour. Yeah, that's right, people did die. Three, almost 60 people were injured. I'll give you a less serious example, but still potentially deadly. This occurred years ago when I was visiting Australia. It was Christmas Day, so we went to the beach, Early Beach, in northern Queensland. Now, that's what you do on Christmas Day if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. We got to the beach, and there was a great big sign, a big sign saying, take a look at this, do not swim in the water between October and April owing to box jellyfish. That's what it said. Don't swim in the water between October and April because of box jellyfish, which aren't big things, but they're a real problem. The sign couldn't be missed for good reason. Box jellyfish are deadly. They're the world's deadliest jellyfish. They have dozens of tentacles. Each tentacle has a half million little cells that each contain a mechanism for injecting venom into your skin. So you would definitely not want to go swimming when box jellyfish are around. That would be madness. But one of our groups said, I heard on the radio just this morning that the box jellyfish haven't arrived in this area yet, so we should be okay. Now, don't swim between when? October and May. December 25 is basically in the middle. We read the sign saying, don't swim. And then we looked at the water. Oh, beautiful. It was getting warm already. So we did what anybody would do in that situation and ignored the sign. I went windsurfing. I was way out there, spent more time in the water than on the board. My nephew, just a little guy at the time, he was maybe five, was paddling in the water right up where the water meets the sand when suddenly he let out a blood-curdling scream. A box jellyfish got him right on his little hand. He had a a Z-shaped scar or a Z-shaped scar on the back of his hand for years afterward. Well, that little monster box jellyfish had latched onto him. And that's what happens when you ignore a sign that shouldn't be ignored. So let's think of where we are today, a virus, tiny thing, something so small we can't see it. That little virus has brought the world to a standstill. In some places, maybe even where you are, you can barely go out of your house. There have been lines outside supermarkets in many places with people in those lines standing six feet apart. Schools are closed. Businesses are suffering. Planes are empty. Of course, people are sick and dying. And in spite of the fact that in the United States there are 150 different toilet paper manufacturers, well, you know how that's gone. And it's not just toilet paper. A lot of food staples have been snapped up and supermarket shelves were left bare for a while there. By the way, aren't you grateful for hospital workers and other healthcare workers? I want to say a big thank you to doctors and nurses and those brave people who work to take care of us when we're not well. Thank you, if it's you, really thank you. I have family in New York City right now. They tell me how moving it is at seven o'clock every evening They told me people in Manhattan clap and cheer and lean out of their windows, many of them banging on pots and pans, saluting the healthcare workers in New York City. Thank you all. We appreciate you immensely. But this is a new day altogether. Houses of worship are closed. In some places, you can't have anyone visit your home. People are wondering what's going on. One lady, someone I do not know, Contact me prior to Hope Awakens starting, and she said, nothing is making sense to me, and I'm ready to learn and to get better prepared for whatever the future may hold for me and for all of us. So that's why we're here. Where do we look for answers? Governments, you know, will do their best, and we appreciate that very much. But where do we really find lasting answers? We can learn a lot from history, but where do we find real answers about where we are today? So let's go to the bookshelf and take down a book that for millennia has been providing solid answers from a spiritual perspective. Solid and reliable answers. Because I think we can freely admit that there are, well, there is a shortage of good answers right now. People everywhere are facing uncertainty. They're looking into the future with some real concern. Jobs are being lost. Families are separated. I have a brother and a sister-in-law. My brother and his wife, they're in different countries right now and cannot be reunited because of the coronavirus restrictions. Another family member is with some of his children in New York City, and his wife and their other children are on another continent, and they have to stay apart for the foreseeable future. It gets even worse. We had a loss in our family recently. My niece passed away, my sister's daughter. Nothing to do with COVID-19, but clearly a tragic loss and there won't be a funeral anytime soon in fact owing to isolation my sister can't even have visitors in her home who would like to come and give her a hug these are tough times so what do we make of this in a in a big picture sort of a way we're going to look for spiritual answers and so we'll open the bible and we're going to start in matthew chapter 24 What's written in Matthew 24 takes place not long before the crucifixion, the story of that first Easter weekend. Here's what happened. The disciples of Jesus come to Jesus, or they came to Jesus. He was on the Mount of Olives, so he had a perfect view of the Temple Mount and of the temple himself. He's just said something truly shocking to them. They pointed out to Jesus the beauty of that magnificent temple in Jerusalem. And He said to them in reply, "'Do you not see all these things?' He said, "'Assuredly, I say to you, "'not one stone shall be left here upon another "'that shall not be thrown down.' "'And so they said to Him on the Mount of Olives, "'Matthew 24, verse 3, "'Tell us, when will these things be? "'And what will be the sign of your coming "'and of the end of the age?' They were asking Jesus this question because He's just said something truly shocking to them. They'd pointed out the beauty of the magnificent temple in Jerusalem. He said to them in His reply, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And today, you can still see some of those great big stones piled up at the base of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And that was hard to imagine. You see, it was thought that the city of Jerusalem was indestructible. The stones of the temple were enormous, weighing 120 tons or more, many of them. And here's Jesus saying that the symbol of Israel's greatness, the sign of God's blessing, would be utterly destroyed. And you know what they thought about that? So they came to Him and they asked Him, and it says they did so privately. They said, what will be the sign of you establishing yourself as the Messiah? What will be the sign of the end of the age? This would be a new world, the end of things as they understood them, and the dawning of an entirely new age. So Jesus spoke to them and to us today. It's widely understood that Jesus spoke not only to the concerns of the first century A.D., but that he also spoke to people living in what he called the end of the age or the end of the world. So being as the first century A.D. is long past, we now look at what Jesus said as applying to the end of the world. He's describing what the latter days in Earth's history would look like. People have been concerned about the end of the world forever, it seems. People from all over the religious spectrum, mainstream, less mainstream, evangelicals, even atheists, you name it. They've predicted the end of the world to come. Authors who have sold a lot of books, people who have their own television programs. A lot of predictions have been made. Obviously, not a one of them has been accurate. The end of the world has not yet come." So Jesus answered, and He said in Matthew 24:4, it says, "...Jesus answered and said to them, "'Take heed that no one deceives you.'" Now, that's good advice. Do you think it's important that we recognize that spiritual deception is a real issue? Oh, yes, we should. That's the good thing about the Bible. You see, most people have one. If you don't have one, they're easy to find. You can get one at the dollar store. And if you read the Bible for yourself, you are far more likely to not be deceived on spiritual matters. You're not the only one who has thought that it's strange that Jesus started with 12 followers and they were pretty much all on the same page. And now there's every different kind of religion, every different kind of church that you can imagine. One Bible and what seems like an endless variety of interpretations. And so, We want to be careful, Jesus said, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, we've seen that over the years, which is really interesting. Throughout history, people have looked for hope. Sadly, in many cases, people have turned in the wrong direction. It seems that we are made in such a way that we rally around a leader, around a king, around a, a spiritual guide which is natural enough. It might be because people want to find hope. No one wants to face an uncertain future. And unfortunately, there's no shortage of people willing to deceive other people. You've heard the stories about the scams that have happened over the years, internet scams where people lose a fortune, Ponzi schemes where life savings are lost. It is sad. Well, you know, spiritually, God does not want you to be deceived. So let me suggest something to you. There's a lot of different spiritual paths to be found, and it would seem that they cannot all possibly be right. To find the real Christ shouldn't be that difficult, should it? If there was a God, wouldn't He make Himself, or would He make Himself unknowable? Would He make Himself unreachable? I believe that you'll find the true God is a very accessible God. In fact, He says again and again that He wants to have a close personal relationship with you. Look at this, the Bible says, "'Am I a God near at hand,' says the Lord, "'and not a God afar off? "'Can anyone hide himself in secret places "'so I shall not find him, "'so I shall not see him,' says the Lord. "'Do I not fill earth, heaven and earth,' says the Lord." The Bible says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. This is God speaking. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that most famous Bible verse, John three sixteen, which says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So know this, God is a God who wants to be known, who wants to give hope to a person's life, even in times of real distress, even in times like the one in which we find ourselves. Now back to those signs that Jesus gave. Here's what He said. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom." Now, let's think about this. Jesus is speaking about the end of the world, and He says that a sign of that end of the world would be the prevalence of wars. What have we seen in recent times? More people killed by warfare in the last 100 years than in the previous 1,000. We have conflicts today that are truly global. World War I, the war to end all wars, except of course it wasn't. World War II, millions, tens of millions of lives lost. Now we have truly global coalitions like NATO. This wasn't possible generations ago, but the world has become much smaller in recent decades. We came out of World War II, there was the Korean conflict, then Vietnam, then many wars we've either forgotten about or haven't heard of. Lately, there's been Afghanistan, Desert Storm, the Gulf War, and many of us, we know veterans of those conflicts, veterans who selflessly served their nation, and we say thank you. Now, let me ask you this way. If one of the signs of Earth's last days was war, and rumors of war. Do you think that what we see today fits with what Jesus said? I think we could agree. There is no doubt about it. Jesus said, you will know the end of the world is getting near because of the prevalence of wars and rumors of wars. If we're, if we're checking off a list, I think we've got one right there. No doubt about it. Now, Now, before I go on, I want to be very careful that you don't think I'm going to make any kind of prediction about the end of the world as to when it is. I'm not going to give you a date. I'm not going to make any predictions. We're just looking at the signs and we're trying to see what the signs are saying because I believe these are signs that we cannot ignore. Jesus said, there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. You know that we had major famines in the 1970s. In one of them, 6.5 million people died in Africa and Asia. Almost 2 million people starved in Cambodia in 1979. In the 80s, there were five famines that, claimed, that each claimed a million lives. And even now, there are food shortages in Africa and the Middle East in places like Yemen and South Sudan and Somalia and even in Nigeria. Famines, that's another one we can mark off. Jesus mentioned earthquakes. He said, earthquakes, a sign of the impending end. You don't need me to tell you that earthquakes have done an immense amount of damage in recent years. 1976, one earthquake in China killed 255,000 people. In 20, when was it? 2020, it was a few years ago. In Haiti, 222,000 people died. I believe that was 2010. In Pakistan in 2005, 80,000 deaths. In 1990 in Iran, 50,000 people perished. These are gaudy numbers, heartbreaking numbers, hard to really imagine. Then on the afternoon of... uh, one afternoon in March in 2011, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake struck 231 miles northeast of Tokyo. $300 billion damage was done, immense. Far worse, 22,000 lives were lost. It was the largest earthquake to ever hit Japan and it triggered a tsunami that caused massive devastation. And then we remember the day after Christmas in 2004, there was a strong undersea earthquake that triggered a tsunami that claimed 230,000 lives all the way from Indonesia to Southern Africa. Now, let's talk about one that I jumped over, pestilences. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the word used there for pestilences means a plague, a disease. We're all now familiar with the fact that in 1918, 50 millions of people died on this planet from the Spanish flu. It is thought that one-third of the world's population at the time got sick. In the United States alone, 675,000 people died. The World Health Organization says that 75 million people have been infected with the HIV virus. Something like 35 million people have died. A million people died of the flu in 1968. What about SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome? It struck in the early 2000s. H1N1, swine flu in 2009 more than a million and a half cases worldwide. It took more than 12,000 American lives and close to 300,000 lives around the world, according to the CDC. Between 2014 and 2016, Ebola affected tens of thousands of people and killed half of all people who were infected. MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, another new disease. It's only affected about 3,000 people so far according to the statistics I read. The fatality rate is high, more than one in three. A lot of weird new diseases have been appearing lately. Now, the novel coronavirus, a new one for humans, manifesting as what we commonly refer to as COVID-19. We're now up to about 140,000 deaths worldwide, around 30,000 in the United States, 20,000 deaths in Spain. 22,000 deaths in Italy, close to 15,000 in the United Kingdom, in Romania, 370 or so, close to 70 in Australia, more than 1,000 in Canada, more than 4,000 in Mexico. This thing is just about everywhere. The last country to report an infection was St. Kitts and Nevis, and we're thankful that that beautiful Caribbean nation has really had very few cases and no deaths. Unlike other disease outbreaks, There was no treatment ready to go when the coronavirus reared its ugly head. And while some people are able to shake it off, some people get it and don't even know, it ravages others, which is one of the things that sets it apart, makes it so insidious. This thing has just interrupted everything. Let me ask you this, how's it making you feel? Social distancing, isolation, even shopping is difficult for many people. There's the danger of getting ill. What word would you use to describe how it's leaving you feeling right now? Some people I've spoken to, desperate, angry, confused, and people are struggling to make sense of their emotions. You know, before we're done this evening, we're going to settle some things. We're going to nail some things down. I believe that together we're going to know where to find certainty. So these are just some of the things Jesus said would be happening in the world in the end of time. Looking at what we've looked at, does it seem that we could be living in that time? We're dealing with a frightful crime rate right now. We're in a world where there's terrorism on a global scale. We are seeing weather events on an unprecedented scale. Hurricanes have battered our shores in recent years. Tornadoes. Well, let me tell you, this one comes close to home. Here in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area, where I am right now, A number of people just lost their lives this past weekend in a huge storm. Tornadoes came through this area, a lot of destruction, a lot of sadness. If you've ever been in the path of one of these things, you know what I'm talking about. The pictures you're seeing are of the damage done right outside our It Is Written building. Tornadoes, or something that acted very much like them, came right by here, just yards from where I'm standing, in that direction and that direction. We had trees down on three sides of the building I'm in right now. You can see the path of the storm as it surged through stands of trees. Although the destruction came right past our building on either side, the building itself was untouched. I can't tell you how grateful I am. I can tell you I'm mindful though of those who've suffered in a really big way. As for me and my house, we lost our power for about 108 hours. You start counting after a while, But it came back on about 11 o'clock this morning, and I'm glad. Does it seem to you that destructive weather events are slowing down? We wouldn't think so. Major hurricanes and droughts, wildfires here in the United States and destructively wildfires in Australia earlier this year, the eyes of the world were on them. A plague of locusts in Africa, new swarms, they say, of young adult locusts that eat more than adult locusts, according to one authority, which sounds about right. There's tremendous concern about the environment. Air pollution is a massive global problem. Have you seen the photos recently showing major cities with air pollution and now what they look like with clean air in Delhi, India, and Bangkok, Thailand? Clean air, which they've not had forever because, of course, we've stopped going about our business. Even though we have history to go by, The great nations of the world seem to be up to here in conflict and dispute. And people are noticing, you've noticed, people are asking, what do we do? Let's ask ourselves that question now. What do we do? Not long ago, Britain's Guardian newspaper reported that many of the world's elite are fleeing the danger they see coming to the world. Many of the very wealthy are buying property in my home country of New Zealand, where they believe they'll be able to safely ride out the trouble that they're convinced is coming to the world. Billionaires from all around the world are buying properties that they can retreat to in an emergency, in a time of disaster. You see, speaking about the end of the world isn't madness. It's not a Christian oddity. It's not crazy, even secular people who are not reading the Bible realize that it's no longer business as usual for planet Earth. There's change coming. Now, are there more signs that we shouldn't ignore in the Bible? Yes, there are plenty of them. We look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37, Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The Bible says in Noah's day, the world was, well, like this, Genesis 6, verse 11. The earth also was corrupted before God and the earth was filled with violence. Let me ask you, does that sound like today? When a tragic school shooting occurred in 1999, 15 people died, we wondered if it could possibly get worse. We got our answer less than a decade later, 2007, 33 died on a college campus in Virginia. Then a man in Norway, Norway of all places, himself killed 77 people, filled with violence? You tell me, what's going on when people are taking guns into schools, killing kids? Every time you catch a plane, you're reminded that life has changed, seriously changed, because the world is filled with violence. What if Jesus wasn't talking about our day? What day could He possibly be referring to? It's hard to imagine. Now, I understand if you attempted to say, but John, there have always been natural disasters. There were earthquakes in the Bible and famines and pestilences, and there was a lot of violence back then. And I would say that's true. But notice what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse eight. He said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. What was he getting at there? That word sorrows means birth pains, So Jesus was saying, these things will be like birth pains. You know how that works with birth pains. Well, maybe you don't. About 50% of the adult population has a pretty good idea, while the other 50%, whatever we say, we really don't know. Birth pains have become more frequent and more intense the closer the baby gets to arriving, right? The closer to the big moment, the contractions come closer together and more intense. It's like that with the signs that Jesus was speaking of. Oh, I shouldn't tell you this, but I will. I remember when my wife, Melissa, was having our first baby. Um, she was great with child, I mean, out to here. And uh, we went, we went and walked or went exercising, something came back, got in bed. It was late now after midnight. She grabs my arm. I think the baby's coming. And remembering what the midwife had said, I said, well, you know, honey, it'd be a good idea if you got some sleep, so, you know, get some sleep and call the midwife later. It was my first rodeo too, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. Didn't understand that sleep wasn't going to come and every so often the contractions would hit and to begin with, they were not nearly as bad as they were going to become. They became more intense, closer together so that with one almighty contraction, our firstborn, my son, our son, came into the world. It's like that with these signs Jesus talked about. One earthquake or a hurricane or a famine, even a disease that affects the whole world, it's not necessarily a sign the world's about to end. There were massive earthquakes a thousand years ago, for example, but what we're seeing is an increase in frequency and an increase in the intensity of these things. That's what really speaks to us. Friend, this isn't business as usual. This is not the usual ebb and flow of life. This is new territory that we're in. There are other signs. Daniel 12, verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, you might think Daniel's referring to an increase in secular knowledge. If he was, well, when Daniel was alive, there were no phones, let alone mobile phones, let alone smartphones, no electricity, No television, obviously. Just go back 100 years, even 50 years. We've gone from black and white to color, to flat screen. No one puts film in their camera anymore. Now there are self-driving cars and facial recognition and artificial intelligence. So smart, AI can write articles and play chess and pick ripe berries make phone calls, carry on a conversation you'd think you were talking to a person. Artificial intelligence can even diagnose disease. We have no idea where it will end or how it will end. But if you read that verse in Daniel in the way it's really meant, you'll find that Daniel is writing that there will be an increase in spiritual knowledge as the years pass. And that undoubtedly has been so. It wasn't long ago that the Bible wasn't freely available. Then it was outlawed. Regular people weren't allowed to have it. People were put to death for possessing for possessing the scriptures. Now it's the global best-selling book every year. Understanding of it has increased as study of the Bible has increased. So that now there's a great deal more understanding of the Bible. You might say there's more confusion, and that'd be true too. So let's ask ourselves about this. The world's a complicated sort of place, and we've just scratched the surface, but what we've done is we've seen that long ago, Jesus predicted that the world would one day come to an end. He said, you can know you're getting close by signs that I'm telling you about. He said in Matthew 24, 36, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So again, we're not pinpointing a day, not even pinpointing a year. But what we do see is that Jesus said just a few verses before that. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. When you see the things happening that Jesus spoke of, He said, you can know that the end of the world is close. Could it be that we're really that close? I've got to tell you, it's hard to imagine that we're not. Now, it's true, earthquakes, famines, wars, diseases for thousands of years, but this is different, and it feels different. We've never been locked down like this. The planet hasn't been immobilized like this since, well, since forever. We are hopeful, we're praying, many of us, that we come through this soon. So, what's the solution to this planet's troubles? Do you think politicians can fix this? Politicians will do their best, and we're glad for that. But politics can't keep this world from the direction it's going. Do we believe that human beings are suddenly going to get better, make better decisions, and learn to live in peace and love? Hasn't happened yet. Without wanting to sound pessimistic, I think we both know that's not going to happen. We've been talking about civil rights for decades. There's still racism and hate. We've been fighting hunger for decades. And in spite of the fact there is no shortage of food in the world, there are still hungry people everywhere. We live in a a land of beautiful homes and yet thousands are homeless. I know that's a complicated question, but that's the truth. In spite of the pain caused, families continue to fall apart. So what's the solution? Did you hear the story the other day? True story. Employees at a French firm wanted to give a 64-year-old man a special gift. So they arranged for him to take a ride in a fighter jet that can travel at 870 miles an hour. He thought it was a wonderful idea. Until he got near the plane, his heart was beating at 140 beats a minute before the flight began. Someone said he was in full-blown tachycardia. And once it started, he panicked up there at 2,500 feet, he wanted something to grab hold of. He somehow grabbed or pushed the ejector seat button and out he went. Two and a half thousand feet above the ground, what's that, about 800 meters up? And he parachuted down to the earth. I think you and I both are looking for something to hold on to right now. Now, granted, life is going on okay for some people. Some people but do you know anybody who has been afflicted by the coronavirus? Do you know them personally who's got sick? I know people who know people. No one in my immediate circle has, but I have family who have family. I have colleagues here at It Is Written who have family whose colleagues have died from COVID-19. It's tough. There's a lot of fear right now. You've read stories, heard stories of people who've taken their lives because of fear they had COVID-19 or that they've passed it on to others. The mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee, a man named Glenn Jacobs said this, responding to a recent spate of suicides in Knox County. It's not clear that the tragic events are actually connected to coronavirus, but many people say they think it is. He said, we have to determine how we can respond to COVID-19 in a way that empowers people with a feeling of hope and optimism, not desperation and despair. And that's where a lot of people are. Desperation and despair. Jesus spoke to this, talking of a time when men's hearts would fail them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. That's in Luke And chapter 21 and verse 26. What did that man in the aircraft do? He bailed out. I want to tell you this. Bailing out right now is not the solution. Giving up isn't the solution. Despair isn't the solution. This is a trying time in earth's history. If you were being faced with losing your job, how would you feel? What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say about where you can find hope? Now, this is from Luke chapter 21. That's Luke's account of the same things you find in Matthew 24, which we've been reading from. And here Jesus says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So what is it that we're really seeing in the world today? Signs that we shouldn't ignore, telling us that the best is yet to come. Oh, please, I'm not trying to minimize the seriousness of a difficult situation. But the Bible speaks about heaven, about an earth made new. And Jesus says, when you see these things begin to come to pass, it's time to look up because your redemption draws near. The great promise of the Bible is that Jesus, a real historical figure who lived on the earth, who was crucified, who died, who was buried, and then rose again. The Bible says that that Jesus will return to the earth. It might not look like it to you right now, but look around you, what's going on? These are signs that the world is waxing old and that a new day beckons. What we see going on all around us right now is right in line with what was spoken by a Galilean carpenter 2,000 years ago. Imagine if it's true. Imagine if the world is running out of time, whatever the time frame. Imagine you were struggling, looking for hope, trying to figure it all out. And now imagine that there's a God, a loving God, who wants to know you in a real way a loving God who made the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of all people so that we could have a life of peace, a life without frustration. Here's a phenomenal statement made by Jesus himself. Look at this. It's from the book of John at the start of chapter 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also." You see what Jesus speaks of? A better time, a new world, a world where no one will be sick, we'll have all the time we need, a world where there is no crime, no unemployment, no heartache, no poverty. It's been thousands of years that humans have been trying to fix the world's problems. And here we are. Of all things, we've been sidelined by a virus, by something so small that you can't see it. Our, we, we put people on the moon. We've sent space shuttles up and brought them back. We've got satellites out there taking photos of deep space. And right now, virtually the entire planet is on hold because of a bug, because of a virus. I think we know that we don't have the solutions. I wonder if we know who really does. I'd like to introduce a good friend of mine from Breath of Life, a ministry based in Huntsville, Alabama. He passes a large church, the Oakwood University Church in Huntsville, Alabama. We're going to talk about fear and getting through. Carlton Bird, welcome to Hope Awakens. Thanks for taking your time to join me.
2: Thank you, Pastor John Bradshaw. It is a privilege and a joy to be able to share with you and the Hope Awakens audience tonight.
0: I'd love to have you here standing beside me where I am, but this is social distancing. We're keeping about about three hours between us right now. Let's talk about fear and about dealing with fear. Now, Dr. Bird, a learned man, an author, scholar, teacher, and so on, you've got a lot of life experience under your belt as well. People are dealing with fear right now. Talk about some practical steps, no impractical steps, but talk about how we can get through this thing intact. As a matter of fact, let's talk about finding hope not fear, okay. finding hope. How can people find hope? You tell me.
2: Well, I think, you know, kind of bridging hope and you, you began with fear. Perfect love, the Bible says, casteth out all fear. So when we're looking to find hope, I wanna first say you can find hope in love. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you love your family, you love your friends. Uh, they are your support system. And through them, you can find hope. Hope, you know, we define it as uh, looking at those things that are looking optimistically at things in life. And so with family, with friends, you love them. They love you. Perfect love casts out all fear. And you can find hope in love. Not only in love, but I want to suggest also that you can find hope in giving, giving of your time, giving of your talents. Giving of your, your treasury, you find hope in giving, and, and you and you realize, Lord, I thank you for this privilege and this opportunity that I can give, that I can share with others. Number three, I would like to say that you can find hope in gratitude. Uh, the Bible says, in everything, give thanks. And so, by saying thank you to the Lord, thank you to family, thank you to friends. Thank you to neighbors. You find hope in that. You're able to look at things a bit more positively and optimistically. So we begin first finding hope in love. Next, finding hope in giving. Third, finding hope in gratitude, giving thanks. Fantastic. Then I want to say another way, if I may, Pastor. Oh, yeah. Uh, finding hope. Uh, we can find hope, and we're able to find hope, if you will, in knowledge. Knowledge is power. And with that, you get knowledge one way is through reading. You're, you're able to read different things. And, and one thing for me during this period of COVID-19, finding hope in knowledge, recognizing knowledge of power, I'm able to read the word of God. I, I'm able to read the Bible. And by reading the Bible, by listening to you as you have presented tonight, it, it helps me understand what the end is going to be like. So I have nothing to fear for the future, remembering how God has led me in the path. And so knowledge is power. I find knowledge in the word of God. I find knowledge in reading. And I realize that that is one book that will never let me down. And so I find hope in that. And then number five, and most importantly for me, I find hope in Jesus Christ, uh, the hope of the world. I I find hope in Jesus through his life he lived on this earth through the promises he has shared with us, and the promise that one day soon he's going to come back and he's going to redeem those of us who love him from this wicked earth. And so I have hope in that. I think optimistically about those five things.
0: Let me ask you a personal question. How are you doing? How are you and your family getting on during this time where we're kind of confined and we can't freely associate with other people? How are you doing? Well, it, it's, I'm doing well, thank you so very, very much for asking,
2: but but it's tough. Uh, you know, with a congregation, the size we have, whether your congregation is large or small, when you see your people hurting, as the pastor of that congregation, you're hurting. And while not one person in our church has succumbed to the COVID-19 virus, we have church members who have friends and family members who have been afflicted by this disease. And, and when you see your people hurting, you hurt. With my family, I praise God for them, we're able to spend more time together. You know, oftentimes the hustle and bustle of life have us going hither, thither, yonder and everywhere. But during this period, we've been able to sit down and spend more time with one another. And that has been a blessing. And so for me, when we talk about finding hope, particularly during this pandemic, I began with love. I love my wife, I love our three daughters. So I find love in my family and hope that way. And then my fifth point was finding hope in Jesus Christ. I know what the end is going to be. And so I hope that way. So we're doing well, not easy, but we're doing well.
0: Thanks very much for joining me and for uh, encouraging me and reminding us that there are numerous places that we can find hope. You pointed us to some practical steps to the Bible and to the Christ of the Bible. Dr. Carlton Bird from Breath of Life, thank you. I really appreciate you taking your time. Thank you. May God
2: continue to bless you.
0: Thank you, and you. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, if the end of the world is coming, somebody's thinking, uh, if you're talking about the Bible, what about, well, what about Israel? Where does Israel fit into all of this? I'll tell you what, we'll get to Israel. What about the the prophecies we read about in in the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation? Talks about beasts there. Are they scary? Are they hopeful? What about Armageddon, plagues? What about a time of trouble? What about all of those things the book of Revelation says? Oh, we'll look at that. We've got time to get to that. Tonight, we've looked at something fascinating, I think. We've looked at where we are in the world today and what the world is telling us. I want to encourage you, I believe the world is screaming at you right now and encouraging you to take stock, to take a second look and to realize this isn't life as usual. This isn't the same old, same old. Today is very different from yesterday. And as we've seen these odd diseases stacking up on top of each other, there wouldn't be a single person who would say, this isn't going to happen again. As a matter of fact, we're wondering about the future because they're talking about a second wave of this thing. Oh, I don't mean to speak fear. I want to speak hope. These presentations are entitled Hope Awakens. And as we've looked to the Bible, remember what we found. Jesus said, you can know when the last sands are falling through the hourglass of time. You can know. And when you know, lift up your head, look up. It means that the best is yet to come. It means that your redemption draws nigh. I want to share this with you. What a great story. When a school teacher in Georgia received the insurance policy that she'd recently purchased, she did something the vast majority of people do not do. She read the policy. She read all of it, including the fine print. And in the fine print, she found something that she wasn't expecting. She found a note that says, if you are reading this during the contest period, be the first to contact us and win $10,000. And so right away, she got in her phone and she contacted Square Mouth, the insurance company, and she won $10,000, just like that. It was a contest designed to raise awareness of reading your policy. The company actually didn't actually think anybody would read the entire policy. They put that little line in there, if you're reading this, you give us a call. When it comes to the Bible, read it, just read it, read it carefully. When you do, you're going to find that there is a God in heaven and a good God. And you'll find that the message of the Bible is simple. He's got this. He's got you. And you've got everything to look forward to. When did you last pick up this book? Now, I I hear somebody saying, oh, an hour ago, this morning, I read it at lunchtime. Thank God for that. But do you think the majority of people are doing that? I have something I'm reluctant to tell you, but it's true. Not even the majority of Christians are doing that. And when you open up this book, you are never going to find it saying that this is a get-out-of-jail-free card. This isn't your, your free ticket to avoid trouble everywhere. Oh no, Christians, non-Christians, people of every religious background... We're just as vulnerable uh, to the highs and lows of this world as anybody else. But have you read what the fine print says? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Have you read that? Have you read? We read it tonight. I will come again and receive you to Myself. So where I am, there you may be also." We read in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, where John says he saw a new heaven and a new earth. He says, the former things are passed away. You read this book, it tells you that you can be a new creature, a new creation, that you can have hope. Not even sin can keep you from everlasting life because God has a wonderful plan for you. I'm glad that we are on this journey together. Revelation today, Hope Awakens. Tomorrow night, don't miss our presentation, Hope Awakens. That's the title of the presentation itself. We're going to take a look at history and we'll see the hand of God through history. What a wonderful time. The best is yet to come. I'd love to pray with you before we go. Can I do that? Pray with me right now. I'm going to bow my head and we'll pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for the privilege that we've had tonight of gathering around Your Word. Bless us as we continue to study. Encourage us, give us hope. In Jesus' name, we pray together, amen, amen. Thank you so very much for joining me. I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time for more with Revelation Today, Hope Awakens from It Is Written.